My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Mason Folk. An important step in the journey of many, though not all, transgender people is transition. Exactly what that entails varies a great deal from one person to the next, but it can include a whole range of measures designed to allow the person in question to manifest the gender that they are rather than the gender they've been told they have to be. It might involve an internal or emotional process of coming to terms with their experience. It can include gender-affirming medical interventions, but as with all of these, doesn't for everyone. And it can include various elements of social transition, things like a new name, adopting pronouns that fit better, changes in dress and personal aesthetic, and coming out to friends and family. It's no secret that trans people can face significant stigma, hostility, discrimination, and even violence. In a major study of trans people in Ontario, 20% were found to have been physically or sexually assaulted for being trans, and an additional 34% had been verbally threatened or harassed. Fully 83% of trans people who had transitioned reported having avoided certain public spaces or situations out of fear of harassment or other anti-trans hostility. Not surprisingly, the study also found that these experiences of violence and discrimination had significant mental health impacts on trans people. There is also evidence, however, that acceptance and support make a big difference. Trans youth with very supportive parents were much more likely to report significantly better mental health and well-being in a variety of categories than trans youth with parents who were somewhat or not at all supportive. An important context in which hostility and discrimination can have a significant material impact on trans people is the workplace. Though trans people have human rights protections in this country, the study cited above found that 13% had been fired and 18% had been turned down for a job for being trans, with an additional 15% and 32% respectively suspecting that these things had happened because they were trans. And as today's interview participant notes, there can be a whole other level of negative treatment in everyday workplace interactions that statistics like this just can't capture, but that have a significant impact on trans people's well-being. Today's guest is in a rare position to be able to support trans people in workplace contexts. Mason Folk works in manufacturing in London, Ontario. He is a member of the United Steelworkers of America and has a history of involvement in a number of LGBTQ community organizations. A number of years ago, Folk decided to take a fateful step, to transition in his workplace. He started out by looking for information. He figured the union would have something related to the process, but they didn't so he dug up as much information as he could on his own and went to his union rep. They sat down, had a talk. The rep didn't know a whole lot about trans issues, but thankfully was supportive and open, and Folk ended up doing some ad hoc Trans 101 education with him. Folk's own transition journey, plus his interest in advocating for and with others, started him down a new path within the labor movement. He has become involved at a few different levels in the union, in developing curriculum and doing education related to trans issues with members, officers, and staff, 
He's become a member of the LGBTQ Advisory Committee of the international level of the Union, based in Pittsburgh, as well as a member of the Human Rights Committee for District 6, which encompasses all of the locals in Canada. In his work with the latter, he's been involved in putting together a workplace transition guidebook, based on talking with a wide range of different trans people in many different kinds of workplaces across several different sectors. As a result of this work, and the relationship building it involved, folks started getting regular emails and calls from trans people seeking advice and support. The district ended up creating the position of trans liaison for him, which he does in addition to being a chief griever in his workplace and an officer in his local. As trans liaison, he offers support and advice to both members who are transitioning and union reps who are working with members who are transitioning, in addition to a range of educational work. Both the International LGBTQ Advisory Committee and the District 6 Human Rights Committee will be participating in the union's upcoming policy convention. They'll be working on policy changes to ensure that more collective agreements include gender-related non-discrimination clauses and trans-inclusive health care, and to expand access to trans-related education for members. I speak with Folk about trans experiences in the workplace, about the roles that unions can play in supporting trans people, and about his own work as trans liaison with District 6 of the United Steelworkers. My name is Mason Falk. I'm a trans man in London, Ontario, and I'm the trans liaison for the United Steelworkers in District 6. I've been involved in Pride London as well as Trans London for a few years. I was involved in the Pride community that I lived in in Virginia before I had moved to Canada. And I became a steelworker about eight years ago. Initially, I wasn't involved in the union, but I started to see a little bit of a lack of representation and it kind of lit a fire under me. My wife told me that I could either be upset about it or I could get involved and try to change it. So I really became more involved in the union probably about five years ago and working together to get our union involved in our local pride festival. Maybe a good piece of context to start with for listeners would be transition. What is transition and what does it involve? Well, transition is different for everyone. It's a very individual experience. So everybody approaches it differently. There are different kinds of transition. Some people may socially transition. Some people may medically transition or any combination therein. Basically what it is, is just like a transition in any other kind of life. It's a motion from one area to another. So for me personally, my transition, about five years ago, I transitioned to male. And what about the workplace? When someone starts to undergo transition, what are the kinds of things they're likely to face in their workplace? Workplace transition has a lot of its own unique challenges. When you transition publicly, it can kind of be an all-consuming thing for you. And obviously, that's your personal life, that's your work life. So it's something that will frequently be known to your coworkers, where a lot of your other personal stuff may not be. So it requires a different level of involvement, especially for me with my union. I got them involved right off the bat. I knew before I came out that I wanted to be armed with knowing what my rights are and also how to go about it in a way to make it a smooth transition for me, for my coworkers, for my employer. So I went searching for information. I looked into all kinds of information from the United Steelworkers, figuring they would have something to tell me, you know, how to proceed or who I should talk to. And I really didn't find anything. 
So what I ended up doing is compiling a lot of my own information. And then I went to my union rep and, you know, we sat down and had a talk and I gave him the information and tried to educate him. And from there, it just kind of has become a snowball effect. A lot of things people don't consider about workplaces is it's more than just your face-to-face interactions. It can include name changes. It can include gender changes, washrooms, locker rooms. Washrooms always seem to be kind of the big thing that everybody is not sure how to deal with. So that's something that I can help when a member approaches me and needs some facilitation in the workplace in those regards. You mentioned that you also pushed to get your local involved in Pride in London. Did that happen before or after you started talking with your union rep about transition? The Pride Parade happened first. I pushed for a lot of years to get us involved. And I think our first year would have been four years ago was the first year we finally got a group in the parade. And our first group was fairly small. I think there was like 12 of us. And last year we had close to 100 steelworkers. So that's grown a lot just in a few years time. What was the process like of getting that to happen? Initially, I was just watching the parade from the sidelines, and I saw all these labor groups going through, and I saw a lot of other unions, but I didn't see my own. So I felt left out. And that's something that I approached my local union rep about right away. Like, how do we get us involved? All the other unions are there. It's something we should be taking part of. And from there, he connected me to, on a district level, a human rights committee that they were just forming. So I got to be a part of the Human Rights Committee on a district level and really like surrounded myself with a lot of allies. And we had a new area coordinator that came in and really supported my efforts and helped turn it into a reality for us. And when you first sat down with your union rep and started, you know, educating them a bit on trans issues, what kind of response did you get and what kinds of things did the union initially do? My rep was absolutely supportive. I think just he needed me to let him know what I needed because there hadn't been education for our staff on a very large level. And so he was very receptive and opened education. He brought me to our area council and we brought an educator in there as well. And then through the district committee as well, we've really been developing better curriculum and education throughout the union. And in fact, our international just formed its first LGBTQ plus advisory committee. So we are an advisory committee to our international civil rights department, which is based in Pittsburgh. So we've been doing a lot of facilitating for workshops and education to the staff and really rolling out a lot of support for our siblings south of the border as well. What has the process of developing materials and curriculum looked like? It's been challenging for sure. Anytime you get a group or committee together and say, okay, let's teach people about us, like we're individuals, right? So there's a lot of learning even on our own parts that we learn from each other. And then we have to, from there, figure out like what is the needs in our workplaces. We work in all different sectors. People think steelworker and they think, you know, high steel or foundries and steel mills and we're all of that. But we're also healthcare and higher education and communications. So with such a diverse membership, it can be challenging to develop education that flows across all of those sectors. So that's something we're working on currently. And what kinds of things have you heard from folks in all of those different sectors? How are the needs different in these different kinds of workplaces? 
Workplaces differ a lot, particularly in the States. They differ a lot by company policy, for example. There's 29 states in America where you can be fired for being LGBTQ+. And that's completely legal. They don't have to have any other reason to fire you other than you are gay. So your company policies can, for better or worse, in those states, dictate your employment. Unless, of course, you have a union and a collective bargaining agreement that can protect you. So bargaining language is something that we've been working a lot on, too, because we want to make sure all of our members are protected no matter where they are and no matter what the law is there. What about in the Canadian context? What workplace protections exist here in law for trans people? And what additional protections do you really need a union to have? We are fairly fortunate here. We've got a pretty good human rights code, and we have employment and housing protections federally now. So you can't be terminated from your job or denied housing or medical treatment for being LGBTQ. Now, that doesn't mean that our workplaces are free from harassment or that those things don't still happen from time to time. And one of the benefits of having a union is having a support system that will stand behind you and help you fight when those things do happen. There's also a lot of discrimination that happens in workplaces that doesn't necessarily get documented or noticed, whatever the sector may be, by the higher ups or the bosses, right? So your union rep can kind of help deal with those things within the membership as well. What would a typical workshop or training on trans issues that you do in the union context include? What we usually do is we have hour and a half workshops. We break it down into like an LGBTQ 101. That often includes a basic education of, you know, what those letters mean, what these identities mean, because a lot of people don't necessarily even know that aspect of it, let alone what the challenges might be down the road. So we try to educate our members and our staff on how to be inclusive, how to be an ally, and how to have somebody in particular who's transitioning to have dignity and autonomy throughout that process. Given the short amount of time that you have to deliver all of this, what do you feel like you're able to convey when it comes to being a good ally? When you're talking about allyship, a lot of people don't really understand how important allyship is. Because when it's our allies who are speaking up and standing up for us, that amplifies our own voices. And I think when people find out some of the challenges that we face in the workplaces that they just haven't been aware of, just that knowledge helps create allies. In the course of doing these trainings, have you run into instances of overt anti-trans hostility? I have had a couple instances in my workplace of some harassment, but by and large, I've been fairly fortunate with the people that I've dealt with. I know that's not always the case. And I think a lot of that is owed to simply the amount of privilege that I've had in my transition. I mean, I had full-time union employment before my transition that I was able to continue with. I have a supportive spouse. I have passability. These are a lot of things that other people within my community don't have, which presents more challenges for them than what I've faced on my own. How did the role of trans liaison come about? So along with the District 6 Human Rights Committee, one of the things that we developed for education was a workplace transition guidebook. 
We talked to a lot of different trans people. Some of them were unionized, some were not, across several different sectors, just to see what their experiences had been, positive and negative, and what they wish had been done differently. And we put together a book with some basic education and some guidelines, the rules and responsibilities of the union to support their members, the rules and responsibilities of the employer, their duty to accommodate, things like that. So we've compiled it all into one guidebook that can be accessible across Canada for all of our members so that they all have the same cohesive information. Throughout the development of this, I was connecting with a lot of different union members in my own union and in other unions that were trans and were looking out for some support, whether it was just somebody to talk to or some advice or somebody to let them know what their rights were. I was getting emails and calls. And so in sharing this with my committee, they decided that, well, we should set up an email address for you and make you this contact person and get your information out there. Because if so many people are contacting you with, you know, they're having to search for you and contact you, if we make it accessible. And I wish I had had somebody to talk to and somebody that was accessible like that for me. So I jumped at the chance to be able to support others. What kinds of things do you do as trans liaison? It really varies. What mostly it entails is support and advice. So anybody can send me an email and say, you know, I'm transitioning in the workplace. Can I get some information on this? And can I talk to you about this? I also get calls and emails from union reps that say, you know, I have a member that's transitioning. I'm not sure how to go forward in the best way. Can you help me out with that? I also, with that role, do a lot of facilitating in the States as well at union conferences and such. What is the state of this work in the labor movement beyond the steelworkers? Do other unions, for example, have a trans liaison role? I know that there are several other labor organizations that have like LGBTQ committees and human rights committees that are doing that kind of work. I know that the CLC and the OFL are doing that kind of work as well. I couldn't say for sure, but I'm not certain that there is another trans liaison, though. Give listeners a bit of a sense of what human rights committees do in the labor context. Human rights committees are one of the most important committees within our organization because the context of our world has changed so much and equal representation is important. As the demographics of our membership and of our country changes, it's important for people to see themselves reflected. And our human rights committees help advance that. We help members feel welcome. We're doing a Black History Month event in Mississauga, actually, tomorrow night through our district human rights committee. We do several events. We always participate in pride festivals and several events throughout the year. So beyond your specific work, how would you characterize the relationships between the labor movement and LGBTQ plus communities? And what are the ways you think those relationships could be further developed and strengthened? I think there's always been a strong connection between labor organizations and civil rights of all kinds. And that is no different with the LGBTQ community. Traditionally, the labor organization has helped push forth inclusiveness from the beginning. I mean, our founding tenets of the steelworkers from 1942 
stated that all working men and women were welcome, and that meant all. So there was times when many organizations weren't racially integrated, and the labor movement is one of those things that helped push forward more acceptance in their workplaces and in their communities. You know, LGBTQ people are natural organizers. If you've ever been to a pride parade or, or a festival or event, so it, it's a nice fit to be in an organizing movement such as labor as well. I think unions are extremely important supporting all workers, particularly marginalized workers like LGBTQ plus people. I think oftentimes people lose sight of what labor was like without unions. And I would hate to see it go back to that. We're in a decline of labor right now. And you're starting to see already with the decline of labor, wages go down, benefits go down, and that's going to affect communities, right? And again, beyond the kind of immediate work you're doing as the trans liaison, what kinds of broader changes, changes in policies or structures or whatever, might be useful to make the transition process in workplaces and everywhere else safer and smoother? Here in Canada, like I said, we are fairly lucky with our human rights code, but you can't legislate tolerance. So I think that it starts with allies and, in fact, being more than an ally, being an accomplice, being somebody who actively goes out there and supports the LGBTQ community. I know, for instance, that one important barrier in the context of transition in a lot of jurisdictions can be access to gender-affirming health care. Do you see a role for the labor movement in addressing that? Absolutely. Some aspects of medical transition are covered by certain provincial health care plans and some are not. And it can be extremely expensive. And that's an excellent resource to have is the ability to collectively bargain more inclusive health care to be able to take that financial burden off somebody who is transitioning. And I guess that connects to another intersection of interest between LGBTQ plus communities and the labor movement. Trans people disproportionately experience poverty, and of course one labor movement slogan characterizes unions as the original anti-poverty program. So talk a bit more about that connection between the two movements. We talked earlier about in the States especially, your collective bargaining agreement between your union and your employer might be the only workplace protection you have. That CBA ensures that you have protection, that you have equal pay, that you have the equal right to things like promotions or education within your field. And having a CBA and then having the union behind you to be able to support that CBA can be the difference between keeping a job that keeps you out of poverty. And getting involved in the union, too, can help a lot. I know for me, I wasn't particularly happy at my job. And getting involved in my union gave me a drive. My union has given back to me and given me education and helped build my confidence. And it's been a great relationship for the union and for myself. Where do you see this work going in the future, both in an immediate sense, but also in, say, five years time? As the labor movement continues to do more internally around LGBTQ plus issues, how do you think things might have shifted? I would love to see five years from now that our labor movement has built coalitions of queer workers that go across several different union lines that we're all educating and participating together. How would that kind of cross-union coalition of queer and trans workers be useful? Oh, the value of solidarity is everything. You know, one union stands by itself, 
but if they all stand together, they're stronger. What kinds of work do you think needs to be done to keep moving in that direction? I think that we are moving in that direction. You know, when I was talking about the Pride Parade earlier, initially before my union got involved, it was noticing all the other unions being involved that made me want to get us involved. So I think that's already something that's moving in the right direction and that's building. And I think it's good. And unions really are valuing the importance of human rights and the importance of equity. And in more concrete and immediate terms, what do you see this work involving over the next while? I have some education events coming up through some different locals in the area. I'm going to be working more with both my district committee out of the Toronto area and my international committee out of Pittsburgh. And we'll actually be participating in our union's international policy convention coming up in August. And that's where we get to actually, you know, talk about changing policies, things that ripple throughout the entire union internationally. What kinds of policy changes are you hoping to see? I think collective bargaining is very important. Making sure that all of our collective bargaining agreements have non-discrimination clauses that include sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression. I think that healthcare, especially in the States, but even here, the healthcare that we can bargain here supplementally needs to be trans-inclusive so we can take some of that financial burden away from our members. And I think educating our rank and file members as well. When you're educated about a person, it's a lot more difficult to discriminate against them. So just getting that education out there that, hey, you know, we're all siblings and we're all doing this together. I think that makes a big difference. So those kind of things, if we can see policies change to make those happen internationally throughout Canada and throughout the states, I think it will better us as an organization. What's your sense of what proportion of steelworkers' collective agreements currently contain things like trans-inclusive healthcare provisions and non-discrimination language that includes sexual identity, gender identity, and gender expression? That's something that we're actually looking into. Right now, it's kind of hit and miss. It depends on that particular agreement, maybe, you know, when that particular agreement was bargained or who bargained it. So it's something that we kind of need to change from the top so that it comes down that that language will be in all contracts. What would you say to a worker who is listening, who is cisgender and who has perhaps never really thought before about what trans people face, about what they should know about the struggles of their trans co-workers and about how they can act in support? I would say, you know, we're all co-workers. We're all there to get a job done and we're all human beings. And when you see that human part of somebody, it matters. And we need to all be looking out for one another. And what would you say to trans workers who are perhaps very early in their process of thinking about transitioning publicly? I would say definitely know your rights and find your people. You're like, you're not alone out there. There are so many resources available and so much education out there that you can find. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be wonderful. You have been listening to my interview with Mason Folk. Trans Liaison with District 6 of the United Steelworkers. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. 
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. <laughs>